The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. Now, to your point about how I got into it initially, um, just like all the other gigs that I've done over the years, I was approached by a a competitor to this product um, as um, as you mentioned, there are only a, literally a handful of manufacturers of this type of machine. I like to think of myself as kind of a normal capitalist uh, and consumer. And by that, I mean, if I see something that I've never seen before, it piques my interest. Right. Um, when I was approached by this company, which actually one of the competitors is a German product, no disrespect to anybody in your audience that has German heritage. Um, I, I drive a BMW. I value quality quality engineered products. Uh, but just because something says made in Germany doesn't mean you should charge twice as much as maybe what the value of the product really is. Right. Such was the case with the company that approached me initially that asked me to introduce their products into the U.S. audience. Um, they said, we've got this vertical printing machine. We know your background, Paul. We'd like you to take it to market, find out who the customers should be for it and start selling it. And they wanted me to be a hired gun. I said, really cool product, but that's not what I'm looking for. I want to own something. And that we could not work out the right deal, which would give me actual equity in the product. But I love the product so much. I said, see, I've never seen anything like this before. Let me start doing my homework. Yeah. So I found, I found out that there were only four other manufacturers in the world that did this. Two Chinese companies, an Australian company, an Indian company, and this German company that approached me. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, Mitch. This is Paul Barron, and I am the owner, founder, CEO of The Wall Printer in Wilmington, North Carolina. After four decades of finding innovative products to launch into the United States, helping companies be in business, um, I am here to introduce uh, this vertical printing machine to your audience and respond to any other questions you might have about the journey of entrepreneurship. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, welcome to another episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. For those people listening out there, if you're listening on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, please be sure to 
review the podcast. Give us a five-star review if you like what you hear. And if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button so we can keep putting out good information, valuable content, and bring uh, information to people hopefully that need it. So I want to thank our guest today, Paul Barron. Paul is the um, owner and I guess the founder, right, of The Wall Printer. Um, and Paul's here to tell his story. So, Paul, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, you're you're in, you said in, in Wilmington, North Carolina? Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. So maybe you could tell us, you know, your background, because I know you have a big background in sales. You've, you've sold all kinds of stuff. And then you can take us through how you got to the wall printer. Well, I don't know if the background is big, but I'm old, so <laughs> I've got a lot of experience, yes. Okay. Um, I, I won't go back and bore your audience with Paul was born at a very young age, uh, but suffice to say that I did start my entrepreneurial journey um, in college uh, when I strung tennis rackets for the athletic department there, okay. and then after graduating, found I founded a tennis sporting goods store, grew that to three stores, um, sold that, went into the restaurant business. Um, a couple of other entrepreneurial ventures, a software development company. Um, I found there were hats I liked to wear, hats I didn't like to wear. Um, the ones I liked to wear the most were the ones that involved client engagement, helping customers um, and vendors, manufacturers, my strategic partners, um, helping them find their high value customers and, okay. and basically solving a problem that somebody had. Yeah. Uh, the product itself might solve the problem, um, but sometimes people don't even know what that problem is. So learning that and going through that journey um, was really interesting to me. Um, I was good at it. Uh, I like people. Um, I, I think some some others besides my mother like me too. Um, so uh, so I, I've been fairly successful um, in terms of client relationship building. You were always the front, the facing of the company, the outside guy. You didn't want to be behind the computer doing all correct the um and and yes and no um you know i always believe that you should have a certain level of knowledge in whatever you're doing yeah um, you may be a great salesperson but if you really don't know the product um it's very difficult to align that product with the audience you're trying to attract i don't right. care whether you're selling cars or widgets um you have to understand the product and the audience um, and sure. so I, I, I'm kind of, even though I'm product industry service agnostic in my journey of four or five decades Clearly, of doing right. this, um, I, I do have the ability to be in a room with everybody from computer programmers to uh, marketing people to uh, finance to legal people um, and not be thrown out of the room because of total ignorance. Um, but an, an example of that is when I have my restaurant business, I was in it for the real estate, but at the same time. Um, I learned how to tend bar, to wash dishes, to cook, everything else, because I wanted to understand the facets of the business and really what made it important, yeah. um, as well as the dollars involved yeah. in those those elements. So, so yeah, uh, my my journey identified sales and marketing as the hats I really enjoyed wearing mm -hmm. and and were good at, and so that's what I capitalized on over the years. And then I migrated into identifying products that I thought were innovative and interesting, and right. throughout. The last 40 years, I've done everything from um, a software company um, that dealt with audio, video, communication, and navigation system solutions, to a Chinese headband headphone for children, uh, to a baby bottle manufactured in Austria, a media board communications product manufactured in Israel, a self-service dog wash manufactured in Australia, and most recently, I identified the wall printer. Uh, most of the time when I'm sitting around, and I've retired several times over the years, 
But most of the time when I sit around at my office and I'm surfing the internet yeah. and I see something really cool, I'll call to my wife and I'll say, hey, Maureen, come take a look at this. Well, rather than come take a look at this, she usually cuts up my credit cards and hides the bank account because she goes, here, here we go on another <laughs> ride again. arrive at the house then three days later, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so this one, though, she was all in on. Okay. As was I. Um, it was an well, interesting product. Well, what what you did in the past was what would you do? You would source a product and then you want to bring it to market in the United States and you would kind of like distribute it and rep it? Or was it things that you wanted to sell yourself? What was it? Did it vary? Did it depend on the product? So great, great question, Mitch. And uh, so it, it did vary. Um, sometimes I was a hired gun. Okay. Uh, sometimes I source the product, like okay. for this product that I'm representing now, and that I actually own, and I actually co-own patents with the Chinese manufacturer on this particular product. Um, but other times, I've just been a hired gun. Um, they've sourced me uh, because of my reputation over the years of being able to help a company find its audience here in the United States. As I referenced those those quick group of products just yeah. now, they're all foreign outside the United States. Yeah. So these were companies that wanted somebody to be their face and and be able to articulate in language that the American audience understood. Boots on um, the ground and that, here. That grew, I'm sorry? Boots on the ground here. Like they wanted to come to the States. Exactly right. Got without it. actually coming to the States. They wanted right. somebody who understood the audience, somebody who could talk the language, whether it be a computer programmer in an R&D department of Texas Instruments, or it could be somebody who, um, you know, wants to, in, a, in a baby products um, store, retail store, wants to go ahead and um, and, so, and stock baby bottles. Uh, some, somebody to articulate the unique characteristics of their product or service. Um, and then go ahead and find those customers. And it might not only be customers, it could be strategic partners, could be customers that wanted to grow, for example, the Australian uh, dog wash company. Uh, I identified early on, this was a, an 800 pound item that had to come across by boat in 45 days. And I said, well, if they're going to scale and be successful and go after all the pet stores and places where a, a self-service dog wash system would play, they would really need to manufacture it here. And so I did one of the, my, my jobs for them was not only to identify the market and the customers for that, where the dog wash system would reside, but also a U.S. manufacturer. It turned out that the U.S. manufacturer loved the product so much it bought the company. Oh, um, okay. And so, so and that sometimes was what, a big I, unit, like you'd put the dog in and you would wash the dog? Yeah, it's like a vending service for dogs. Like you need a bathtub and a hose. What else do you need? $10 for 10 minutes. What you need is to be out of your house so you don't have to do right. it and mess up your house. Right. Um, so basically, yeah, credit card, uh, $10 for 10 minutes. Uh, you, you wash and dry your dog, similar to the old car washes. Um, okay, and and again, sense. I thought it was it was a pretty cool product. Um, and it's growing still after the, the foundation I laid for it once I identified a, a U.S. manufacturer. So again, the point being that it's not always just customers and sales right. that the, co the company might be interested, but it could be strategic partners. Um, right. I, I, a software development company that I represented with GPS um, navigation system software. They mm -hmm. want to identify not only the uh, the companies that sold navigation systems via cars or watches, um, but they also wanted to um, find a company to actually buy that team and technology from overseas, bring them here to the United States and grow the market that way. Um, so those are all the things that I've done over the years. So you're really and, uh, a strategic development consultant. I mean, you're coming in, you're helping them develop relationships, find customers, you know, make it work better from a, right? Because I guess it was your idea to say, 
hey, this thing weighs 800 pounds. You can't be shipping it all the time. It's too costly. Let's find a manufacturer who can do it in the United States. Exactly. So it's those types of feedback um, that I provide on a consultancy type of level. Um, and, And again, I've done well with this, you know, as a sometimes a commission salesperson, sometimes a salaried employee of these companies, other times, uh, you know, just an independent contractor. Uh, but ultimately, I, I, I got the most pleasure out of actually owning something. Um, the companies that I did, the, the restaurant, the sporting goods store, um, even those who were more retail focused. Um, and I did a software development company that was actually very successful um, for a little telephony product um, for call centers. But with the companies that I owned, of course, Somebody told me a long time ago, Mitch, which I remember today uh, very well, um, when I I got myself, I was in my 20s and I got a $1,000 Christmas bonus um, and I was the sales manager for this jewelry firm. And and I I found out that he and his son um, earned a earned, took, whatever you want to call it. Um, they were the owners of the company. They could do whatever they wanted. And so they, they got about a $25,000 bonus. And, uh, and, and I learned that mainly it was because of the sales that I brought in, that the company did very well. And I was very happy. I was making a good salary. They're paying me very well. Um, I got $1,000 extra in my pocket at Christmas time. Um, all that was good. But I went in the next Monday and I said, you know, I really appreciated the bonus. I go, but I really think that I'm, I deserve a raise. Uh, on top of that. And so the guy said to me, the owner of the company, and I'll remember it to this day because I actually pr- put this into practice. He okay. said, you know, Paul, he goes, when you work for somebody, you will never earn what you think you're worth. But when you work for me, I'll make sure you're paid more than anybody else will pay you. And that was very true. Um, and I was very pleased with the money that I had earned from, from that gig. But at the same time, I quit the next day. Uh, and I went to actually work for a competitor of his as an independent contractor and made ended up making twice the money over the next couple of years um, without a lot of the responsibility that I had in, in that first job. So right. again, it, it depends on a combination of things. Number one, it starts and it starts and stops with your own personality. Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to be in business? Are you yeah. willing to take something that that either uses your own wits and capabilities, um, your own time, talent, and treasure, as I call it? Um, or do you have partnerships or friends, friends, family, and fools, we call it also, um, you know, people who will invest in you and your crazy ideas, right. um, you know, and, and then move from there. Um, and, and the same thing goes with my customers today at the wall printer. You know, we, we, the wall printer is just a vehicle, just like everything I've described to you and your audience so far, Mitch. Yeah. All these products, whether it be a dog wash, a baby bottle, a headband, headphone, whatever it is, it's just a vehicle to an end. Um, it's got it's got to first and foremost solve a problem for somebody, add value to their lives. Right. Um, it has to be a quality product um, or service um, offering. Um, but ultimately, it's just a means to the end. How will it make the quality of life better? How right. will a wall printer help somebody? Well, yes, it will put beautiful art on any wall, whether it's like if your audience can see the video that you're showing behind me on a cinder block wall, I've got a beautiful wall mural there of a, of a windows, nice window scene and a pond. It'll put near photo quality wall art on a concrete wall. That was uh, printed with the wall art? Wall, that was printed printer? with the wall. Yes, with the wall printer. Yeah, um, yeah the uh, the wall printer. That my my office staff wasn't nice enough to give me a window in my office, so I had to go <laughs> ahead and wall paint one. But that that is what the wall printer will do. That's a five foot by eight foot mural. Um, has about ten dollars worth of ink in it. Takes takes about two hours to print that. Um, it would take an artist two days to do that if they could get the kind of resolution and clarity that this provides. Um, if you're in my office, you can see the eyes on the seagull and the hinges and these 
window hinges. Uh, you can see that they're Phillips screws um, and all of that. So yeah. it's, it's near photo quality artwork and it's any wall. This is showing it on cinder block. It'll go on wallboard, wood, tile, metal, glass, indoors or outdoors. Um, it lasts okay. for up to 12 to 15 years indoors. The inks are high quality UV ink, which, which dries instantly and will withstand everything from hurricanes to um, Florida sunshine, Canadian winters, outdoors three to five years. Um, you know, I remember you know, when we were talking off mic, when we first met, you were telling me the story a little bit about how you kind of found the product and looked into the marketplace and found other manufacturers, right? Because I don't want people to mis misunderstand. You don't like travel around the country and paint people's walls. You're, you're working so, with different people in different areas, right? So, yeah. So you've touched on a couple of things, which I think are really important to your audience. Okay. Number one, um, I'll take the second part first. I'm in the business not of providing a service. So when I say there's $10 worth of ink in that, takes two hours to print, that's about $30 worth of labor, another hour to take the printer to that site because this is not a, a signage shop kind of thing where right. you print on, although you can print on paper or right. canvas. People can't bring their wall to you. But they can't bring their wall to me. So if you want this on your wall, we bring the printer to that site and right. we print on it. Uh, um, so I do not provide the services. I provide the printers. We manufacture our own inks for the printers, which is very important. Mm -hmm. um, so it keeps the printers working. You have the right inks in a printer. Um, that's why Hewlett Packard and Brother and Epson and all those companies, Canon, make you buy their inks. There's actually a reason for that uh, because the, the inks are formulated to work in those printers. And if you introduce the wrong ink to a printing machine, it'll stop working. Um, not because of some licensing issue, but because it'll just screw up the, the technology that's built into the printing device. Right. But okay. with that said, uh, you know, over the years, I've I've worked, as I said, as, as a hired gun for company, as a as a consultant. Um, but at the same time, these products uh, these products are designed to put people in business. So right. my customers are the ones providing the services, but they're also in the business of growing a business, building equity. We provide territories to people exclusively so that when you do raise your hand and you say you want to be in the wall printing business, you'll be the only ones that we sell a printer to and service and support, whether it be with marketing and leads for the people who are interested in those services, it'll right. go to those people. Now, to your point about how I got into it initially, um, just like all the others um, gigs that I've done over the years, yeah. I was approached by a, a competitor to this product um, okay. as um, as you mentioned, there are only a, literally a handful of manufacturers of this type of machine. I'd like to think of myself as kind of a normal capitalist uh, and consumer. And by that, I mean, if I see something that I've never seen before, it piques my interest. Right. Um, when I was approached by this company, which actually one of the competitors is a German product, no disrespect to anybody in your audience that has German heritage. Um, I, I drive a BMW. I value quality quality engineered products. Uh, but just because something says made in Germany doesn't mean you should charge twice as much as maybe what the value of the product really is. Right. Such was the case with the company that approached me initially that asked me to introduce their products into the US audience. Um, they said, we've got this vertical printing machine. We know your background, Paul. We'd like you to take it to market, find out who the customers should be for it and start selling it. Right. And they wanted me to be a hired gun. I said, really cool product, but that's not what I'm looking for. I want to own something. And that we could not work out the right deal, which would give me actual equity in the product. But I love the product so much. I said, 
gee, I've never seen anything like this before. Let me start doing my homework. Yeah. So I found I found out that there were only four other manufacturers in the world that did this. Two Chinese companies, an Australian company, an Indian company, and this German company that approached me. One of the two Chinese companies was the oldest one in the business that actually invented the technology, owned about 10 patents on the different technology features that they had. Um, the Chinese don't only copy us, they copy themselves. So there was a second Chinese company that, that saw the success of the first one and decided, hey, we could do that too. And so, uh, but it was a laser engraving company and they don't really have any kind of engineering talent or anything like that. And they built a product, but it only goes so far. Um, and, and that was that. There's an Australian company that had a beautiful website, but they had no product. It was a venture-backed company that had no funding. Um, so they never really had a product. And then there was an Indian company that had um, a product, but it was like a very lightweight home hobby solution, more like your desktop printer than, than it would be for a commercial business that wanted to do something day in and day out going Got to it. homes and offices. And so schools. like these 3D printers, you can get ones for your home that are small. You can get ones that are industrial. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Like lots of, lots of just, and, and just like cars, you can right. buy a car for $5,000. You can buy a car for $150,000. Right. And there are reasons usually for everything in between. Um, but, and the same thing for the wall printer. So the German product, which was a 40,000 and up product. And then there's our product, which is a $25,000 retail product. Um, we actually have a resolution that's higher. Theirs goes to 600 DPI, ours goes to 1440 DPI, more than double the resolution, uh, giving you a nice quality image like you see behind right, me. Right. Um, then there are other factors. We print with white ink, um, which is a big thing in the printing business of wall art. That means you can print on dark surfaces or glass and the colors will really pop out. That's one of the patents that I actually co-own with the manufacturer. Again, another reason why I chose this route for myself and my customers, because I wanted the protection that if I was going to invest in this business and my customers were going to invest in this business, right. that there'd be some level of, of propriety um, right. and some, uh, some differentiation that they would have over the other competitors. And then, of course, I, like you said, I don't go traveling to a lot of these places um, overseas, especially with COVID that came around because right, I started right. this business in late 2019. I do have a company that works for me um, that will go to a place and kind of check the boxes. Is it a business that if I have a business plan and I want to be able to sell 50 of these a month, right. will the company really be able to make 50 a month? Right. Is there um, three guys in a garage and somewhere in China and they're yeah, putting these exactly. things together by hand? So, so this particular company that I went down the road of negotiating an agreement with, um, ticked all the right boxes. Right. And now it's two years into it. We've developed a really strong relationship. As I said, I'm a co-owner of three patents with them. Um, we do a lot of R&D for them here. We actually manufacture our own inks here in the United States that met with their, their chemical guidelines and formulations that they helped certify, uh, but allowed me to manufacture them here. Um, there are some American components, particularly the electric and computer components that we could source just as easily here in the United States, which we do. Um, huh? And then and then there's just the relationship that is just built over the years now. We now have over 65 wall printers, meaning businesses that we put into. Yeah, uh, that play. are out in the marketplace. In the marketplace, selling, selling the services of wall art um, to businesses, homes, schools, hospitals, et cetera. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a real interesting, um, uh, not business, um, case analysis, right? Because look, there's a lot of businesses, like you said, that source a product from wherever, obviously it was outside the United States, right? And they start selling that product and they're selling it all over and they want to sell their business. And they don't realize that they don't really have anything to sell because it's not their product. They're buying it from somewhere else. And you strategically 
didn't want to be that rep. You wanted to build value and be able to maybe sell the business at some point or monetize it. And I don't think a lot of people really think about that. I mean, you had this Chinese company, right, that clearly held patents, Chinese patents, right? I assume they hadn't filed any patents in the United States. So when they were coming here, you said, hey, listen, we got to protect the IP here. Let's do it together. And they were agreeable to that. And you were able to to build value. So I think a lot of people when they're you know, getting starting on business, that it, that's something down the road that they start thinking about. If they think about it ahead of time, it really gives them an advantage of, you know, first, it makes your relationship with China very sticky, right? Because now you guys are kind of in bed together. They're not just going to like go and sell it behind your back. Well, they can't. I mean, you have control over what's going on. You really are the founder of the U.S. company, right? Yeah, it, it all everything you've said um, is exactly correct. It gave it gave me the security I needed to make the investment I wanted to make in this to make it successful. And it and it does in fact give security to my customers who are adding this and raising their hand to be the first kid on the block. And like I say to anybody who is actually serious about this, you know, yeah. it's going to be good news and bad news if you want to be a wall printer. If you want this to be your business, the good news is you're going to be the first one in Des Moines or Chicago or New York or wherever to be a wall printer. The bad news is you're going to be the first one in Des Moines or Chicago or New York. Yeah, and it's up to this, you to right? market this and build it. I'm yeah. not, look, I'm not, I'm not so egocentric. Plus, I like to sleep well at night um, that I'm going to go ahead and charge somebody a million dollars for the wall printer name like McDonald's can charge for their name. Right. It's not look, a franchise, right? It's not. A, we are number one. We are not a franchise. Right. We don't dip into people's pockets for royalties or revenue a share or anything like that. We give them the support they need to be successful. We let them put their own name brand, whatever their logo is, whether it's an existing company they have already, like they may be general contractors or artists or painters right. or photographers, or it's just a startup business opportunity seeker who wants to wants to do wall printing and, and grow with that. Um, we'll take their name brand, their contact information, their email, Facebook page, website, put it on the printer for them so that it's there their private labeled brand item and Got business. It. And then we'll support them, you know, to, to help them grow because our business model gives them the value in the territory that they will create value by marketing and building that business. And then my business benefits because they will then buy more wall printers from me, which is right. my business. And supplies, so, right? And, and the supplies, the inks, the you know, parts over time, things like that. And so I need to I need them to be successful so that I can continue to support their success. And uh, and that's that's our business model. It's similar to a franchise model, except that we don't have a lot of the onerous restrictions and obligations that a franchise- Well, but you don't make them typical. use the name the wall printer and you don't make them hook up to your POS system. You don't make them you know, follow all the rules and give you part of the revenue. You don't care. It's, it's you, I mean, I guess you care from the standpoint of you're granting somebody a territory, right? If they buy, let's say two or three wall printers and then they end up doing no business- they're, they're, you want them to be in service because that's how yeah, it doesn't it doesn't revenue. help either one of us. And the down the downside right. for them if they don't grow and purchase more wall printers over time, the downside is they would lose because of the agreement that we have with them. They would lose that territory because if they don't right. grow the territory and buy more printers, then I've shot myself in the foot by not selling printers to somebody else who would do that. So right. I give them the opportunity to do that. We actually give a five thousand dollar discount on the price of our printer when they do buy a territory. They're not obligated to buy a territory. You, if somebody wants to buy just a printer, maybe they have their own audience of, of customers and they only want to service that audience. They don't care about growing a territory, but they've got a customer base and that's who they want to service. Yeah. Um, you know, People who are selling something else like flooring material or wallpaper or something like that may, may have a, 
um, a customer base that goes beyond the territory. And so they, they don't have that interest. Well, right. we'll sell them we'll sell them just the machines and support the machines under warranty and everything else. But by buying a territory, that means they're committing to further growth, buying more wall printers. So we actually, our business model, because we can't charge them for the McDonald's name, so to speak, we go ahead and charge them for the obligation to buy more wall printers. And we give them a discount every single wall printer they purchase because by buying more wall printers, they then recover those territory fees. We're not trying to charge somebody $10,000, $25,000, even though that's what they will pay for a right. territory, because they're going to recover that through discounts as they grow their market. Right. And now they will, and further on top of that, now they're building equity locally for their brand and their community, and they're building something for their children, their employees, their stakeholders for secession plans right. or whatever, sure. so that they now have something that hopefully will be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars right. one day. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit, created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet. And look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Right. But you you do want the price point to be at the point where if somebody's investing in this thing, they're like, well, I got to get this thing in service because I just paid 25 grand for it. And I want to make sure that we do earn our money back as opposed to it sitting in a warehouse and people saying, ah, it's, it's something we do as part of our business. I mean, that's really what you're yeah, looking there's, to there's, do. Look, they, it's it's the price of a car, let's say, $25,000. Yeah, right. So if somebody, puts, somebody invests that in a business, yes, some people will go ahead and look at this as an add-on, a, a, a side hustle, if you will, and, and do one or two prints a month or something like that. Because very honestly, you do two prints like this a month, you've paid for the machine, you've paid for the labor to do it and the inks 
two prints like this a month will get you back about $1,200. That costs, that would cost minimally $600 for somebody to put that on their wall. And so, so if you do two of those a month, you pay the price of the machine. Uh, when I say price of the machine, I'm, I'm talking about like, if you lease a car for $25,000, you're going to be spending about $500 a month for it. So if you do two prints like this, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to pay the $500 a month. You're going to pay for your labor. You're going to pay for your inks and you'll still make a couple hundred bucks. So if somebody right. did want this as a side hustle, you could still make money on it, but imagine doing two prints like that a day. Okay. Yeah. The person who's doing this full time, that's where the real money is. Right. And that's the kind of people we want, you know, and it doesn't have to be the person who's doing it. It has to be a person who's got the mindset to grow a business. Look, no, I'll keep using the McDonald's example only because it's so easy, um, but not, not because I have any affinity to McDonald's or any association <laughs> with it. But nobody buys, nobody buys McDonald's because they love hamburgers and French fries. All right. right. They don't, Especially those when, I say, when I say buys, fries. I don't, I don't mean you and me going out for a, for a happy meal. I mean, the person who spends literally a million dollars for a McDonald's franchise, yeah. they're buying, they're buying it for the real estate. They're right. buying it for the business and the goodwill of the name. Yeah. That's, you know, 50 years old or whatever it is these days, yeah. you know, they're, they're building, that's what they're buying. Um, it's like when I went into the restaurant business to begin with, I did it because there's a beautiful building I loved. And I had a partner who was in the food service part and he said it would make a great restaurant. So we did yeah. it, but I was in it for the real estate. That's why somebody buys McDonald's, not because they love French fries. Right. And so it has to make money somehow. And that's what I want. I want people who are looking at this. Yeah. You could like technology. You could, you could see the wall printer as something really cool. I mean, I want you to see that because that, that will sell wall printing services for you. Right. But ultimately it does have the opportunity to build equity, to create value and, and make you a lot of money. Yeah. I, I, I have to hand it to you. I, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs. Some of them are in a business, like let's say the wall printing, they find a business, they start printing walls, they're making money, but the, the transferable skill, and you've been in a lot of unrelated industries, you know, one didn't go to the next one. You, your, your entrepreneurial skills are clearly applicable to multiple industries. That's a rare skill these days. I, I find that the ones that are really successful you know, if the business changes, if the world changed, like let's say you were in the restaurant business at the time, right? And pandemic hits, you say, well, this doesn't work. We're shutting this down. You could go right into another business, totally unrelated to the restaurant business and be successful. And that's difficult for a lot of people. I think that's where they struggle as entrepreneurs, that they think that they could be successful in something else. What do you think has made you successful from venture to venture? You mentioned like four or five different things that are completely unrelated. Software, restaurants, uh, the dog washing business. I mean, you mentioned a lot of, and now the wall printer, right? They're clearly unrelated. And, I, and I've left out a half a dozen too. Yeah. But, so uh, what do you think makes you successful as opposed to other people that struggle and, and they can't go from one business to another? Well, it starts with what does Paul want to do when he grows up? Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I mean, it, and, 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 and I, I don't mean to be facetious about that. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, there are, look, there are people and we need people who really like the security of working in a particular job or at a particular yeah. task no and doing that, that job. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's Makes there's the just there, there's value to everybody. Right. Okay. Ultimately, you should do what makes you happy. For right. me, it was it was it wasn't as much what makes me happy. I always it was where I I wanted to live in a place that made me happy. Um, I play tennis and I swim. 
Um, it, I, your audience hopefully can't see it, but uh, but I'm an oversized guy. And, uh, uh, and But tennis and swimming are my two sports. So I always liked the warm weather. Um, and even though I grew up in New York and I thought my parents, you know, dropped me off to the wrong people at birth. Uh, my real parents lived in Florida. Eventually my parents <laughs> retired and they did move to Florida. Right. And I followed them down there. And, uh, you know, I lived in an environment. And that's when I started a software company because I tried, actually started a restaurant first. And just to give you, I don't want... I appreciate everything you've been saying, Mitch, and your response to, to our conversation, but it's not all successes. Um, you know, when I, right. I, when right. I made, I, I had a very successful restaurant in New York, and then I moved to Florida in the mid 80s. And what I made in 12 years in New York, I lost in one year in Florida. Um, so um, I, I call those learning experiences, though, not right. failures. Right. Um, it's because a way to look at it. They, they, you know, they, you have to learn something from everything. But you also have to have that mindset, to your point in the question you just raised, Mitch, you, you have to have the mindset that you're willing not only to take the risk, but you're willing to, to accept the success or the learning experience that comes from that. And so I've always been willing to do that. I always was confident enough in my own ability. And, and I guess that's because sales and marketing were my strong suits right. um, that everybody wants a salesperson for something. Right. Right. You know, I mean, if you can, if you can do sales, you can make a living. No um, you know, I don't care what it is. No. And so, so, so yes, I've been what I call industry product service agnostic over yeah. the years because I enjoyed the process of that client engagement I described earlier. And so, um, so that's, you know, what's made me successful is, is my own reliance on my own capabilities. Um, some people don't have that security. And then again, some people, I got married late in life. I got married in, in my forties, first marriage for both me and my wife, you know, we're, we're together now for almost 30 years. Um, mm -hmm. but, but a lot of people, you know, they have children early on, um, they have responsibilities, you know, and that leads them down a different path. Yeah. You know, Yogi Berra, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Right. Um, and so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Right. You have to be willing to take the risk. You have to be willing to take the, the success and the experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, for, I mean, me, I, for me, it was OK. Yeah. And I, I think that's what people struggle with. They think like, oh, I'm starting a business and they maybe they don't even do it the right way. Right. And they're not the best salespeople or they're afraid of sales or makes them uncomfortable. And then, you know, they find some success. And then, like you said, they hit a wall. I mean, everyone fails at some point and learns because that's how you grow right in, in business. So, and you're right. It is, there are learning experiences more than they are failures because it's a growth path, but a lot of people, they give up, they, you know, they, they do well and they struggle and they're like, I can't do this. And they, and they fall apart. And that's why we have very high, failure rate of there's also, there's a, I also believe, and, and I've learned this over the years, there's also another reason for that. And like I said, there are hats I like to wear. Well, when you own a business, just like I described with the restaurant that I owned as a business a long time ago, um, you know, and I wanted to wash dishes and tend bar and learn how to cook and all of that. So and I knew what was going on. Chef, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but, but still, uh, while you want to understand aspects of your business, and, and as we've said repeatedly in this conversation, you know, you find what you're good at and what you really enjoy doing and what you can, where you can bring the most value to the goals and mission of the business. Still, um, you're the guy or girl that, that wears all the hats. You're right. the one where the buck stops there. And so somebody's told me something else a long time ago that I, that I liked a lot. Um, and and I, I wanted to know what makes a good leader. Yeah. And what makes a good CEO of a company or a good owner of a company? And I was told, um, you know, the best CEOs are those that are 
smart enough to hire the best qualified people for the right. jobs that are needed, but yeah. wise enough to just back the hell off and let them do it. Right. Um, and so that's that's really important too, that not only do you have to know your own capabilities, but you have to be able to see the people around you and you have to be able to let them shine and you have to be able to let them grow. Yeah. And, and sometimes they'll grow in areas that they don't belong. And if you're a good leader, you'll recognize that or you'll listen and learn that about yeah. the people who are around you and then move them in a different direction. doesn't always mean firing somebody or letting somebody go. Sometimes they're just doing the wrong thing. That's, right. that's not right for them. Same thing about you and me. Sometimes we'll find ourselves doing the wrong thing. Well, change. <laughs> right. You know? What was it? Jim Rome. One of the guys says like the, it's the right bus, but the wrong seat. And, and sometimes it's the right seat, but then the company develops a certain way. And the person's got all these responsibilities that they've been dumping on their desk and they're just the wrong person to be doing. They should be shifted over and doing, doing something else. I think that's another shortcoming of entrepreneurs. They try to do everything themselves. They feel like they have to do everything themselves. They won't give. And, and they will recognize that. Yeah, sure. Should you know your financials? Of course, because then if your if your bookkeeper shows you something, you got to know what you're looking at. But that doesn't mean you should be doing the bookkeeping yourself or the taxes or all that stuff. If it's not your area of expertise or the favorite thing for you to do or whatever. And people try and drive it all themselves. And I think that's definitely a testament to your success because that you said that early on, you've had good people around you. You don't do everything yourself. You know what your strong points are. You know, you're not what, you, what, you're trying, what you're trying not to do is let the Peter principle work on you. And if, and if your audience doesn't know that, because that's a very old book, one of the first <laughs> ones I ever read, um, the Peter principle in summary is everybody rises to their own level of incompetence. Um, and so it's the idea true. is to is to is to get get off, be, recognize that, and get off before you reach that level. Right. Um, you don't you don't want to you know keep and and that's also exactly what you said where you're given more responsibilities. Classic example of that, and I'll try to keep it brief, but it's but it points to to it exactly. Is I've got a nephew, brilliant computer programmer, loved programming, got a job very early on with a robotics company, kind of ahead of the curve, kind of kind of uh, time frame. And so there he was doing programming. And then the company was growing and was developing successful product and getting customers. And his team was growing. Now he had to manage a, a group of programmers. And every single time um, he, he got to five programmers, 10 programmers, 50, 100 programmers. And he would call me up and he'd say, Uncle Paul, he goes, he goes, I, I can't stand this job anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm programming like about 10 minutes a day. He right. goes, and that's all I really like doing. Now I'm managing all these people and these projects and everything else. So I'm going to look for another job and I'm going to look for another job. And I said, listen, you got to do what you want to do. And, right. uh, you know, I said, you know, sometimes that's right. I said, but look, the company's very successful, a, a lot in part because of your efforts. And I said, just make sure that you're protected. And, and so I just share this with your audience because every every time and this this conversation repeated itself about five or six times over a period of 10 years. And this company grew, and I don't need to mention names or anything, but this company grew to the point that finally, my nephew said to me, he said, Uncle Paul, he says, I've just really had it. And I said, okay. I said, listen, I've been following you and your company for a long time. I go, the company's really got something there. And you're a big part of that. I said, you've got a lot of stock in the company now. Because every time he said he was going to leave, they kept throwing him an increase in salary and more stock. And I said, so if you're really serious now and you want to leave this company, go ahead and leave it. I could leave the company, but exercise your options. Make sure you do that. So this was the only good advice I've ever given anybody in my life because 30, 30, and because he said, I really am going to quit this time. And he did after 10 years. And he took a job with another startup as the CTO of the company. And he goes, but what happened was he went ahead and he, he went ahead and 
exercise his options. 30 days later, Amazon bought the company and the guy was an instant millionaire. Um, and so the only good advice I've ever given anybody. And, uh, and so as a result of that, um, you know, I just share that with your audience. Again, let, don't let the Peter principle work on you, but, but recognize the environment around you. Are you a doctor? Somebody's having brain surgery? <laughs> no, it's, it's, we are very popular. Usually, right. usually not this much popular. Yeah, this is a live show. I like that. And I'm, I apologize. And I'm, oh, I, I thought I shut everything down. Right. Um, but so it's Friday, and I'm missing some so, people. Yeah. Well, so we're we're you know we're sharing a lot of ideas about being an entrepreneur and your history and everything. But let's let's talk about the business itself, the wall printing business. So, how many? Where are you guys doing business right now in terms of the country? What, what territories have you sold? Where well, I own. Been? I, I own, in my agreement with the manufacturer, I own the entire Western Hemisphere. Okay. So I sell to Canada, United States, Central America, Mexico, Puerto Rico, the Caribbean, oh, South they America. They weren't selling any, any of those countries. I'm sorry? They weren't selling in any of those countries? They weren't selling anywhere there, no. And they weren't selling okay. in a lot of places that I've opened up for them, like the UK and Ireland and Australia. They weren't marketing to any English-speaking countries, um, which they wanted me to take. But because of time zone challenges and support, I gave those up to other people um, yeah. and helped them and helped them grow in those, those areas of distribution. But the Western Hemisphere is all mine. And so we have now about 65, I think 66 as of this week, um, everywhere from... Uh, Costa Rica, Chile, um, Mexico, um, Colombia in South America. Uh, we've licensed all of Puerto Rico, um, although I do have a Spanish-speaking person on staff who always corrects me, Puerto Rico. I'm trying to pronounce things correctly. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, but we've taken all the Chinese language that these printers came in, and we've converted them to English, French-Canadian, Spanish and Portuguese to service our market. So we've done all of that customization and localization, if right. you will. Um, the United States is our biggest market. We probably right. have about 45 to 50 here in the United States that we've grown pretty much in uh, maybe half the states. Um, so about most half of the country you're covered? Yeah, right now I'd say we're say we're about half the states in the country were covered. Most of which are on the East Coast because when uh, when COVID lightened up, I established this business early in 2020, not mm -hmm. making me the smartest kid in the block um, because <laughs> the world shut down. And right. so, but but I was all in financially, and I love the product, and I figured something was going to break sooner or later with COVID that would allow people to start traveling again. So here I was with a product that nobody's ever seen before. It wasn't like buying a pizza place or a plumbing franchise or something where somebody could see what that is. Nobody right. knew what this was, but I spent eight months in 2020 just trying to find out who those customers might be, who wants this, and introducing it to people, doing using social media a lot. Um, something I encourage. Yeah, it's a very audience. demonstrable pro product, right? I mean, very much so, very yeah. much so. If you can just if you can just lead them to the website and watch it for 15 seconds, if anybody goes to theWallprinter.com right. and wants to see yeah, this, we'll wants to know what notes. what the heck it yeah. is I'm talking about, a 15 second video tells you everything you need to know about the right. product. Well, are a lot um, of the are a lot of the buyers in the printing business? The, so the, actually. The Actually, I don't like them too much. Um, and the reason I say that is we do have some, some number, but they have to have the appropriate expectations. People in the printing and signage business, which, which to your point, Mitch, was my knee-jerk first reaction that that would be the audience for me. Yeah. Um, but these people are used to these very, very $125,000, $150,000 flatbed printers that print beautiful photo quality artwork on small signs, posters, things like that. And even some large signs and vinyl stickers that wrap vehicles and things like that. Um, 
those those kind of photo quality reproductions, it's a very expensive process, very expensive equipment. And these people look at this with their nose turned up because it's not the same it's not the exact same quality because when you spray, this is an inkjet printer. When you spray ink onto a concrete wall that absorbs some ink and everything, you're not going to get any better than this. And it is a beautiful near photo quality artwork, but it's not the same. Um, right. And of course they're printing on printers, which also print very quickly, even though it may take twice as long to perfectly install a vinyl sticker on a wall. And that's an expensive component of that type of technology. And vinyl stickers don't go on um, outdoors. They don't go on things like brick and, and glass and things like that. Well, they do go, but then they cover it all over. Whereas right. our, our printers just print the image. Um, you can see what's behind it. And yeah. so, um, so there, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. We don't do vehicle wraps. We don't do curved surfaces. So there's opportunities for both, but a lot of those companies, really, they, I, I learned that they prefer to stay in their own lane, so to speak, rather right. than add on something new. They, they look at wall printing as something that cannibalize, even though I totally disagree with them. I right. look at it as additional revenue. They look at it as cannibalizing on some of the revenue they're already getting. So that's, again, that's what my mom used to say. That's what makes strawberries. Right. That's not, not for everybody. So, so who is the so so our audience is the business opportunity seeker, somebody who looks at this as a vehicle to the end. And the end is growing equity in a business with an innovative solution that has somebody else working that wall printer itself um, and putting the wall art on people's walls in homes, businesses, restaurants, schools, hospitals, whatever. Um, that's, and that customer can be somebody who's a startup business opportunity seeker. It uh -huh. can be somebody who's an existing general contractor painter, somebody who sees this as the painter is a great example. And that's a good customer for us. A painter goes into somebody's home and they paint all these walls white or eggshell white or like the nice blue wall behind you. And they paint the walls. And now they got to learn who you are. And they say, oh, you've, you've got a nice logo. Let's put that on the wall. Or right. they've got a, a family with a child that really likes a Little Mermaid or Power Rangers. And somebody else likes the New York Yankees. And they want those logos without that artwork on the wall or just a nice scene like this one here of, of uh, a landscape of some sort. Right. Um, and, and so once, once a painter learns who the audience is, now he's got a new product and a new service that he doesn't just pack up his ladders and paint and leave leaves. He now says, what are you going to do with this room? And rather than put a picture on the wall, let's paint a picture on the wall. And so he now has another division of his company, another revenue stream that he can do. So those have been very successful customers for us. People in the photography, wall art, even muralists. Muralists initially said, I'm taking the food off their tables because I'm printing this in two hours um, on, on a wall. No, but don't they have to create the mural still? Isn't just allow them to put it up, right? Thank you. So that's that that is the that is the correct and logical argument. There is no artist today, very few, that take paint to brush to wall or canvas before digitally creating that image or thinking about it and, and drawing right. it up or something. So that process produces a digital image these days in the tools of the trade, like Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator, um, you know, Corel Draw, different applications that are used for creating digital art. Uh -huh. And so once you create that, uh, even the new NFTs that are out there, yeah. um, I still don't understand that whole I'm, crypto I'm world. learning too. I'm a little like, I don't think, I don't get it. I'm learning because I get it's something with regard to artwork. I get be right because if you make five of those of one particular original artwork, you sell those NFTs. I don't understand how it applies to 
other fractional. Either do I, but if you but I look at it like you want to take that NFT and make it into a real picture, you can do that with the wall painting, uh, with the wall printer. So um, so again, understanding that. All of these, these are the types of customers. And that muralist who said that we're taking food off the table couldn't be further from the truth. What we're doing is allowing them to spend their time doing what they do best, which is creating art. And then we just go ahead and produce it really quickly on a wall and reliably. And if it's raining outside, you know, we could stop and start printing again, just like they would have to stop printing, stop painting and start again. But we could just do it in a fraction of the time. So the machine, so if you have a digital image of anything, for the most part, it gets loaded into the printer, just like any other printer. So exactly. computer you just, and you just, just you just it take out. it, you download or create that image, you put it on a USB stick, you take it in that USB stick, you put it into the USB port in our printer. Our printer comes with software technology that imports that image and allows you to size it if it's not created in the actual size your customer wants on their wall. Uh-huh. It'll it'll increase the, the dimensions to what, what is appropriate for what the customer wants. Um, and as long as it's created in the proper format, which is part of our training and what we, we tell people how how that image should be um, created to import properly and print properly and enlarge properly. Um, but once you do, once you have a, a digital image created, you put it on a USB stick, you stick it into the printer, and then our software takes over. You press the print button, and you're off to the races. How big? How large a wall can you print to? With the- there are no limitations. The only limit, except for obstructions. So unlike a painter who could paint right to the edge of a wall or vinyl stickers or wallpaper that could go floor to ceiling, edge to edge, the wall printer is designed for wall art. So it can only go about 12 inches to a ceiling or to an obstruction on the wall. Um, it It can't go right to the edge, although we've had, and again, there's another opportunity for the artist. We've had artists paint use the wall printer to paint the body of the image and then come in and embellish it all around to fill in any empty spaces. So that's where the artist comes in. But basically the wall printer will print unlimited height. Um, If you want to, if you want to think on the height end of things, um, think of a window washer on a skyscraper. Um, This is what my dad used to call rich man problems. If somebody wants a 50 foot mural on the outside of a building, think of a window washer. You have to erect scaffolding. You need to have a forklift or a high low to lift the printer, which is 150 pounds. You have to lift that printer up to the next level. But our technology, the software that comes with the wall printer allows you to stitch an image one on top of the other. So where one image ends, another one starts. So you get one seamless image when you're all done. And that image can be unlimited height. Wow. And the same thing with width, unlimited width, as long as you don't hit a wall. Right. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was uh, from looking at the videos, it looked like it was a well, almost like a giant plotter and was only so can only be so big. But I didn't realize you could do it's so, it's it so big as the image. Up. If the image is 50 feet wide, we'll print 50 feet wide. If it's 50 feet high, we can print 50 feet high. Um, you may have to cut up that image into those pieces to, to right. do that image stitching, but still it can be, it, the, the printer will print it. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So let's talk about how people can, well, obviously they can, and we'll put it in the show notes, they can go to the wallprinter.com, right? Is the main website. Yeah, they can go to the wallprinter.com. You know, I'm always, I, I am always open, available, and very happy to connect with people um, that think I, a conversation or a, an email or something might be beneficial. Um, to them, it's always usually beneficial to me. I, I, I go by the philosophy: you never know less after talking to somebody than you did when you started. Um, you know, whether benef- 
when it when it benefits, it may benefit, it may not, but I'll never know less. So LinkedIn is the, as a professional network. Okay. This is not an advertisement, um, you know, for LinkedIn, um, but it is. Uh, unlike Facebook or Reddit or any of the social media outlets, Instagram, which are more just for socializing an idea, um, LinkedIn is a professional network that people can connect with me. Um, yeah. You okay. can identify people with different interests and different groups, professional. And so if they go to, if they search Paul Barron, they'll find me, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And and uh, and I'm happy to connect with anybody in that way. But if they do want to learn more about The Wall Printer, thewallprinter.com gets them to our website, as I mentioned. Uh, you could look on the homepage of a 15 second video and see exactly what it does. If you want to learn more, fill out a form. Great. We'll put all the links in the show notes. I appreciate you coming, sharing your, your, you know, your expertise, your experience. People can see that, uh, you know, people can be entrepreneurs from one business to another. You don't have to stay in your industry. You can, you know, if it interests you, give it a try, right? Yeah. Find, find out what you're good at. And, and if that means working for somebody, great. If it means carving your own path, um, do it, you know, more power to you, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of failure. You know, be, just be confident in your, in yourself. Um, and, uh, and then pay attention to, to what, what made you enjoy the experience. And if, and if you didn't enjoy the experience, do something else. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Well, Paul, thanks for joining me on in New Jersey, which is a sunny day. Uh, nice view out your window. I don't know if it's sunny in, in Delaware. <laughs> it's, just Delaware. As, it's actually just as nice out the real windows here in our office. It's 75 today and sunny in Wilmington, North Carolina. Nice. People are welcome to come and visit us here. We have our warehouse and showroom here. All the printers are going all the time. We're always practicing. Very um, good. So, Mitch, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.